Um, it's so short it doesn't really have a name, uh, but our, one of our values is missional living. We talk a lot about living on mission. And this series is kind of a follow-up from the end of the Gospel of Matthew. What's it look like for us to be on mission? What does it look like for us to step into the, the mission that God calls us into? And um, as we wrap up the Gospel of Matthew and look at what's next, I, I wrestled with how the best way to uh, open the series was. And I've actually asked a friend of ours, Alex Absalom, to be preaching tonight. So Alex, some of you know, uh, he and his wife Hannah were here back in November 2019, maybe October, I can't remember, fall 2019. That seems like eons ago right now. Um, but they, they were here and serving with us, and uh, they've stayed connected. Uh, Alice especially has stayed connected throughout uh, the months, and we've continued to uh, work together, and he's journeyed with us. And um, I felt like as we launch into missional living, there were two options. I could preach and just quote Alex like 15 times, or we could just have Alex preach, and it seemed like it made more sense that way. Um, Al Alex, w one of the things I love about Alex's presentation of the gospel is that it's so uh, practical. It's just so, like you listen to him talk and you just think, I can do that. And, and that's, that's the heart of missional living. This is not complicated. This is not uh, this uh, rocket science. You know, this is an easy invitation into a life that comes out of the overflow of Jesus in us. And so I know it's a little weird to watch on video. Um, Alex is not here live. Some of you are looking around like, I don't see him. I don't know where he's at. Um, he is going to be with us in the fall as travel opens up a little bit more. Uh, he will be here. We're looking at the first week of December. So um, the, he and Hannah will be back with us. But for today, you get them on video. We don't typically do video preaching. It's de definitely not my favorite medium. But um, it, we really wanted to have Alex open the series, and this was the best way to handle uh, live from Long Beach. I do also need to say um, that I know we ended the series on Matthew. I didn't tell Alex what passage to choose, and he chose a passage in Matthew. So, so sorry about that. I know some of you are like, oh my goodness. Uh, so he's going to be speaking out of Matthew today as well. Um, and if you don't know Alex, you will love his uh, Southern California accent. Um, Alex, is, uh, Alex and his wife Hannah are residents of Long Beach, California, where they are literally living on mission. They went, um, they, they uh, advise and work with tons of churches all over the country and literally all over the world. They work with an organization called Exponential as well. But uh, from a church perspective, they are planting micro churches all through the Southern California area. And uh, so he's, he, he and Hannah are doing the things that he's inviting us into. And so I don't want to take his time. So uh, without further ado, here's Alex. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Absalom, and Brian has very graciously invited me to help you kick off uh, this series that you're in about being mobilized and going in mission uh, this summertime. And so as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something that we did just a couple of weeks ago at Easter. And here in our neighborhood where we live, we've been very much uh, living on mission for a number of years now. And on uh, Easter Saturday, we organized an Easter egg treasure hunt. And so we wrote a letter to the, uh, our street and, and the next door street and said, out, here's what we're going to do. And we basically, we, we created clues that the answers were related to different houses up and down the street, like which doors, which house has got the blue front door, that sort of thing. And so families came and they got the questions and they went up and down and got the answers and came back. And we had 
um, bags of candy for the, for the kids and um, uh, adult chocolates for the adults. And then we'd also said, if, even if you don't have kids, you want to come and sit on our front lawn and chat for a bit. So we had several uh, couples do that and had a drink with us while we were watching all the activity going on. And for us, it was just a really simple way of throwing a, a fun party in our neighbourhood uh, that felt COVID aware but also was very invitational. People were so grateful that we we're doing it. Even some folks who don't have kids or, or were away, uh, but they made a point of saying, thank you for doing this. It just makes makes the street a brighter place to be. And, and that's a great re reputation to have. And also what we found is that with several of the people, uh, just as they were hanging around and chatting, it builds our relational capital with them. And some of them, and one couple in particular, uh, were really having some interesting God conversations going on. And the reason I tell you that story is because today, what I want us to think about is the gift of parties. And I'm going to use the term parties in a very loose, broad sense. But really, it's this idea of how do we um, create community in our places of mission. And the context for this, uh, which is relevant for all of us, is that we are entering what I'm terming, this is my, de my, my, my label, I'm terming we're entering the Great Thor. Uh, T-H-A-W, not T-H-O-R, for those of you who like Marvel movies, uh, but the great thawing out of COVID. And I think it's going to take our culture 18 months, two years, uh, to, to thaw out properly from the impact of COVID. Obviously, we're still uh, there's still the infections going around. There's, it's going to take a while for everyone to be vaccinated. So it's going to be all of this year for sure. But I think the reverberations and the, the shockwaves are still going to be going through our culture for a long period of time. And when you look back through church history, what you find is that at times of discombobulation like this, uh, it's, a, it's an unusual openness to the gospel exists. And so we as followers of Jesus, I want to urge you, York Alliance, every one of you from the oldest to the youngest, this summer and this, this next year, couple of years, is going to be a time of unusual openness to the gospel amongst our friends and neighbours and family and colleagues and, and schoolmates and so on, if we will pay attention, if we will seize the moment. And I think one of the ways we can do this is by being known as people who throw great parties and build communities. So we've got a Bible passage we're going to look at. So if you get your Bibles out, we're going to look at Mark, sorry, Mark, at Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to be in verses 9 through 17. So Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 9, we're going to read that in just a moment. So, so get that ready to, to look at now. And uh, I, what I'm going to do is give you three teaching points from this. And then there's going to be three implications and there's going to be a little bit of practical coaching as well. And hopefully you'll get a clear takeaway you can take out of this talk. So uh, let's pray together and then we're going to read this wonderful passage together. So uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were and are the master party thrower and party goer. Uh, and you do this in a way where people feel so invited and loved and drawn in uh, and you can go to what seem like the darkest of places and you can still be you and you're the one who influences the culture. And we pray that you would help each one of us to learn those lessons so that we can even better, we can be the ones who go, in, whether it's our neighbourhood or workplace or school or, or the soccer fields, whatever it is, where you've placed us on mission. And we can influence the culture just by our very presence and by your spirit alive in us. So open our eyes uh, to see what's in this text open our ears to hear your voice, what it is you're saying to us, and may we have the faith to step out in obedience in response. In your mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into new wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So let's think about this text. It's a really interesting passage. I'm sure uh, you've heard it before. Uh, and I want to give you three uh, main teaching points just to tell you what those are straight up. So we're going to look at, first of all, how Jesus ate with the lost and the broken. Secondly, we're going to see how the lost are spiritually hungry. Very important to understand that. And thirdly, we're going to recognize that believers have to sacrifice. So firstly, Jesus ate with the lost and broken. Uh, the language that's used here in the text is that they were sinners and tax collectors. Uh, and Jesus eats with them. And when you eat with someone in that culture, and I think it's still true today, it's a sign of acceptance. It's, it, it's a symbol of welcome, of inclusion, of drawing people in. Now, the tax collectors, they worked for the Roman Empire. So they don't forget Rome was the occupying power. They were hated by all the all the Jewish people. And so tax collectors were, were Jews who were now working for the enemy. And the taxes were extreme. The stories, in fact, of whole villages flooding away when the tax collectors came into town because it, it cost them so much, sometimes up to half their income. And then on top of that, the tax collectors would add an enormous a dollop on top, which was their piece. Sometimes, again, they, they, they took it up to a 75% tax that was taken off people. So no wonder tax collectors were hated. And then alongside the tax collectors, this story talks about the Pharisees. And as you probably know, the Pharisees were a religious group who were ultra-purists. They kept the, every detail and nuance of the law as best they could. And they looked down on the general population. People like you and me would be looked down upon by them because we didn't keep all the kind of the details or the food laws that, were, that they felt were important. And in particular here, around the meal table, this was like red flag to the bull for the Pharisees because they see uh, Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, and that there's, they, what they interpret that as, is that Jesus is approving of their lifestyle. But here's the thing we have to remember, is that Jesus came to fulfill the law, so he honours the law and the principles that are there in the Old Testament, but at the same time, he's very happy to eat with those who are still far from God. So that's our first insight we get from this text, that Jesus eats with the lost and the broken. Secondly, we see that the lost are spiritually hungry. Uh, if we went on in this chapter 9 a little bit further, we'd read in verse 37, Matthew 9, 37, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The John 
In John's Gospel, John 4.35, his version of that verse, he says, the fields are white unto harvest. And so here's the question I have for you. So just think about this question. Was Jesus lying when he said to us, the harvest is plentiful? And when he said to us, the fields are white unto harvest. Is Jesus telling, as we'd say in England, porky pies, which is a rhyming slang for lies. Is Jesus fibbing to us when he says that? Well, hopefully you want to say, no, he wasn't lying. But I think many of us in our hearts really aren't quite sure. Um, now, here, here's what I'd say to that. I have found, Hannah and I, my wife Hannah and I and, and our young adult sons, we have found countless times that many people outside the church are very spiritually hungry. If only we can connect with them in ways that make sense to them. For instance, just a couple of weeks ago, we spent a Saturday evening with a Hindu couple. We've got to, so they're Indian, ethnically, um, and that they've kind of interacted with a couple of things we've posted on social media that that are Christian in origin. And so uh, they they we said, well, let's get together, and they came around. We had a lovely time. Such a sweet couple. And more than half the time, we ended up just talking about spiritual things. They were talking about their, their Hindu background and what that means for them and, and comparing that a bit with Jesus. And, and we're going to have more conversation. They've invited us around for a meal in, in a week or two, which we're looking forward to. Um, but it was indicative for us of people who you might think would be miles from Jesus. Yet actually, they're very spiritually open, really eager and intrigued. And they kept saying, we don't know that much about Christianity. We want to know more about Jesus. Uh, and... I think people are spiritually open around us. Not everyone, but there's lots of people. Uh, but here's what happens. Many of your friends who are, who are not yet believers, they're afraid to set foot inside a church building or they feel unworthy. So literally, I've had people say things like this to me. They say things like, I'd love to come, but I drink too much or um, I, I cuss a lot in my life or I'm not good enough. Or literally, I've had someone say to me, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's what they're hearing in their own hearts. That's what those, of course, are lies of the enemy. Um, but, you know, many people outside of the church uh, are hungry for spiritual things, but they don't know how to connect with what Jesus offers to them, particularly as, as presented through the church. And, of course, there are some outside of the church who've been put off by believers in the way the church um, it, it, the words and the actions of, of, of Christians at times. And so what I want to say is this, there are many people outside of the church who are very, very open to spiritual conversations. So I'm going to make this specific for you. You have friends who you think are far from Jesus, but actually, if you could get in the right context, they would be very open to a spiritual conversation. Uh, and in fact, um, there are many people who are ready not only to uh, have this conversation to listen to Jesus, but also to learn and try how to follow him. So, for instance, we've done things like this. We've had times, I think for a few years ago, the start of the school year, we invited a load of families just to come around and we would pray for the kids for the start of the school year. Most of them weren't yet, definitely not Christians, but they love the idea and the mums are all crying and the kids are there and a bit embarrassed and all the rest of it. But uh, we had this great spiritual experience with them. We've had other times where we've invited uh, friends far, who wouldn't normally be part of a church to come join us as we do some sort of serve activity, serving the poor, even when it's been through an explicitly Christian ministry. As long as you're open about that, people are very comfortable with that. Or maybe we've had times where it's just the invitation isn't to a Jesus-centred Christian community. And again, people are very open to that as well. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the, here's the key. I think the key what Jesus gives us here. Uh, as, as we start to have these conversations with people, as we recognise the lost are spiritually hungry. The key is, who is doing the influencing? 
who is doing the influencing? And that's worth considering. Uh, there are a number of texts. Uh, an obvious example is the beginning of Psalms, Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, verse 1, where it says, uh, Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So there's, there's warnings in the Bible uh, of, of where we're warned, don't hang out with the bad crowd if they're going to influence you. You don't want to do that because that's going to lead you away from God. But at the same time, Jesus is hanging out with the bad crowd so that they can be taking on his values and his behaviour. And here's the, here's the truth that we have to remember, which is with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are the ones who are commissioned to go and we're, we're to go to the bad crowd because we get to influence them and they can take on our values and the values of the kingdom as they're enacted through us. So that's the second thing. The lost, many lost people are very spiritually hungry and we get to be the influencers of them. And the third thing is this. Believers have to sacrifice. Believers have to sacrifice. Jesus uh, points out that um, many people who are religiously content find this lifestyle of mission very challenging and very provocative to them. And even today, uh, there are many in the church who, who would view the active pursuit of sinners... Uh, to seem quite scandalous. They'd be thinking, well, what if this? What if they corrupt you? What if they lead you astray? What if you take on their lifestyle? And, and so on. Uh, but Jesus says in response here in this text uh, to, to the Pharisees, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And what he's saying is that that text in Hosea, which was originally written to the religiously satisfied, um, he's saying... Um, that they, they, they might have looked like they were checking the boxes externally, but they were dishonouring God by their attitudes, by their lack of compassion and their lack of care for the lost and the broken and the vulnerable. And so therefore we need these new wineskins. You've heard that little segment, which was again in our reading. These, these new wineskins, these new structures, these new forms of church, which allow the new wine of the kingdom to mature and to be carried to others. Because the way it worked um, would have been that... Um, uh, when you took a wineskin, you poured the new wine in. It needs to be young and flexible in order to allow room for the wine to ferment because there would be growth that took place. The wine, the, the skin needs to flex and morph with that. Uh, if it was old and rigid, it would eventually crack and break and you'd lose the wine and that skin couldn't be used for carrying other liquids like water or whatever. And so we have to recognise that um, as we... As we seek to go out on mission, as we seek to make a difference for Jesus, there's going to be some things that we like about how church looks and feels and, and sounds, which are just not going to connect with the loss. Now, doesn't, I'm not saying throw it all away. I'm not saying we, we burn everything down or anything crazy like that. But I think we also need to recognise that um, if simply relying purely on our Sunday services was going to do it, it would have done it. In other words, if simply saying to people, come to our event in our building, it's a time and place of our choosing in a culture that we've defined. If that was what was what was going to reach the people of York, PA, and the people of Long Beach, California, where I live and so on, um, then it would have done so. But quite clearly, it's not doing that. Quite clearly, there are many, many people who are never going to darken the doors of our church building, however 
wonderful and gorgeous Brian Cannell is and however amazing your worship and however gorgeous you are as a people, that there's so many people who are just not going to come. And so we have a responsibility to work out how do we go to them. And that requires sacrifice on our part. That means we have to sacrifice some of our preferences, which might be totally godly and totally good. I'm not saying they're wrong or sinful, but we have to lay down our preferences and our desires and, and everything else in order that we might go to the lost. We might go and, and connect with them. Um, but what's interesting about this sacrifice thing is that as we go, as we start to live like this, is actually an awful lot of fun. And so I want to get into to perhaps a couple of implications of this text uh, that, that are here before us. So the first implication of this text is that I think as we go, we start with belonging. We start with belonging. So let me illustrate it like this. Imagine you were a tax collector at the time of Jesus. Maybe you were like Matthew, we heard, read about. And imagine what your daily experience is like with, with the other Jew, Jews of the time, the Jewish people. You, you would have been shunned. You weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship. You would have been an outcast. People would have turned their backs on you. They would have, they would have hated you. They would have gossiped about you. They would have done all they could to, to denigrate you and to pull you down. Uh, that would have been your day-to-day -day lifestyle. And so that's what you're experiencing from, from other religious people, from, from the other Jews. And yet, um, suddenly, there's this man, Jesus, who's a faithful Jewish guy. And yet there's all these stories about him. And you find yourself invited to a party which Matthew's hosting. And Jesus is there. And Jesus is there. And he's not just standing, scowling at the doorway, but he's in the room. And he's, he's laughing. And he's smiling and he's he's hugging people and he's greeting people and he's thrilled to when, when you get that moment you could you find yourself standing next to him and he looks you in the eye and 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 he and he draws out of you uh, your story and your truth and and he speaks into you words of life about who you were made to be your true identity what you were created for the good works that that God planned for you from before the very creation itself he speaks to you about your destiny and suddenly your heart begins to sing. But it's all in this context of being made to feel that you can belong. You are able to belong. And I think um, often what we do as the church is we insist that people have to believe what we believe and behave how we behave before we will let them belong. And I think we need to challenge that. In our culture today, one of the things we have to learn how to do is, yeah, we absolutely stick to our values. We, we're the influencers. We're influen we're, we are not influenced by a fallen world culture. But at the same time, we have to give room, first of all, for, and to enable people to feel that they can belong, that they can breathe out in our presence, that they are welcome and they are accepted and they are valued as precious human beings made in the image of God. And sure, there's junk and there's stuff and for some people, there's no prizes for listing all those things. And often those people are only too aware of those issues themselves. But we start from that place of loving embrace and welcome and belonging and acceptance and that's a much easier foundation for then in the context of that relationship gospel truths will start to come along the way because there's a truth we need to understand which is people will remember how you made them feel far more than what you said to them people remember how you made them feel uh, another way of putting it like this is that uh, people uh, want to know how much you love them before um they love how much you know and so they want people want to um people want to just know that you, you you value them and you care for them and you think that they think that at the very least you think that you know they're, they're decent people there's something good within them and um i think 
the question for us is this. Where do we allow lost and broken people to simply belong and be accepted as valuable and as loved? Where do we do that? Do, do we give that space for people to feel loved and accepted and, uh, and valued uh, as individuals? That's the first thing. Let's start with belonging as we go. Allow people to belong and feel loved. The second uh, implication is this. Grace is both invitation and challenge. Grace is both invitation and challenge. So Jesus brings grace and mercy into broken people's lives. And that, of course, is the doorway to repentance and change. Um, this means that we must carry that invitational mindset when we are interacting with people far from Jesus, of valuing them as a person, of, of, of you know, just saying, yeah, I, I love you, I welcome you, you're my friend, you're my neighbour, I, I want the very best for you. We start from that place. But we don't stop there because Jesus is also Lord, which means he's in charge. Uh, and this is where the challenge starts to appear. So inter interestingly for Matthew, when we um, in this passage in Matthew 9, the first things that he encounters from Jesus is Jesus coming up to him. And presumably there was more conversation. But what's recorded here is Jesus saying to Matthew, follow me, follow me. And that's, that's not just invitation, that's also challenge. Because Matthew can't simply redefine Jesus' message to mean whatever he wants it to mean. It's not some sort of self-chosen ethics or minimal expectations or pick-and-mix theology. Because Jesus is the one who defines the gospel. And in Jesus' gospel, grace always wins, but it is a life-altering grace of the most intense depth and value. It's a grace that calls and it prompts and it urges and it challenges us to enter into our true identity and destiny in Christ. And, you know, neither identity nor destiny are fully uncovered until Jesus is given complete authority, until he really becomes Lord of our lives. And yet Jesus calls us into that journey with such kindness and such generosity, we almost can't help ourselves but get caught up in it. And so we experience this, this great hope that that change is possible. We experience his courage that we can, we can, we can go down this journey, however painful and, and challenging it might be. And so the, the, the question I want to pose to you is this. Are you more invitational or are you more challenging in how you interact with the lost? Because you're going to have a natural bent. You're going to meet some people more invitation, some are more challenge. And there's strengths of both, but there's also weakness in both. And so what I want to say to you and to each of us, I say it to myself, which is how can you become more balanced in doing both well? So if you're very invitation, yeah, welcome everyone, come in, I love you. There's also how do you bring the challenge part of the gospel? And if your nature is to be challenged and to kind of spot all the errors quickly, how do you actually discipline yourself to, to make sure that there's, there's a strong platform of invitation and of grace and of love that, that undergirds that, that creates an environment where the challenge can be heard and received uh, by others. So which are you and what do you need to do to be more balanced in that? That's the second implication. The third implication of this text is this. Church won't be comfortable. Church won't be comfy. And it's very simple really, which is if we seek to reach the dangerously lost, this is going to disrupt a lot of what we have got used to in the life of the church. Jesus makes clear, he says, uh, he has come to call sinners and not the self-righteous. You know, the doctor only needs to see the one who knows that they are sick. And yet 
the question for us as as church members is that uh, how much of our energy as a church do we spend on kind of maintaining the structures and keeping one another comfortable and happy we kind of focus on the in dynamic rather than looking out beyond ourselves there's a famous quote that the church is the only institution in the world which exists for the benefit of its non-members so we, we have to be the ones who live and think like that and to use the analogy that Jesus uses in our text here, the new wine of the kingdom of God sometimes requires new wineskins. And again, I'm not saying we stop everything we do, but I think we need to recognise there are some things we do which are so rigid and inflexible, they're not going to help us moving forward. And alongside that, there's also forms and ways of being and doing church where there's a flexibility and there's a life and there's a suppleness which allows us to go with the gospel and to make disciples of people who might be seemingly miles away from Christ. And so the question I have for each of us is this. Are we willing to sacrifice our own church preferences in order to reach the lost? Uh, and and if, the, if you feel a resistance in yourself to that, try and identify what that place of resistance is. Because, you know, we can be honest about this. There's, there's things I love to do in the life of the church which are so enjoyable, they're really rich, they're really meaningful to me. But I also know they would probably not make that much sense to some of my lost friends. And so I have to sometimes take a step back from that in order to sacrifice, in order to allow the gospel to, 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 to go forth. Because I desperately want to see more and more people reached and saved and brought to a, a love of Jesus. Okay, that's the text from Matthew 9, which is this beautiful story of Jesus um, being able to engage with parties and to go with the gospel and to make his massive difference where he's the one who's the culture setter. He, he sets the temperature of the environment, um, but he does it with this great invitation, this great warmth. He allows people to belong, but then in the midst of that drawing people in, there's a the great challenge, the challenge of follow me, follow Jesus. And we, we don't determine what that looks like. Jesus determines what that looks like. And so we hold these things in this kind of creative tension as we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we go and do the same thing as well. Now, uh, I promised you some practical tips. I know I've just got a couple of minutes left, but I want to give you some practical tips uh, just around this whole area. Because the language I used at the beginning is of parties. And when I talk about parties, what I mean is it's finding pathways for us to build relational bridges it's build relational bridges and and relational bridges that would make most sense in your place of mission your, your missional context whether it's your street or uh, the school or, or or soccer families whatever it is that you that, that where you're called to be on mission where you have favor where you have people of peace and um the, here here's the principle i would kind of work off which is do the things that allow you to build community and to build deep relationships with others and the way to deep relationships you, you start it's almost like walking out into the sea you just start shallow and you get to go deeper and deeper and deeper with people and what parties and i'm going to give you some examples of what i mean by parties do but but building these places of community of fun of laughter of acceptance of conversation of time together of sharing and food eating and, and drinking together what those sorts of things do is they provide an environment where we can naturally build relationships with people and we can identify the ones who are most open to us spiritually and then we can particularly invest in those people as we go forth. So here's some ideas of, of what that might look like 
uh, as we go out. Now, some of these are going to be at certain times of the year, but I'm just going to list some of the things that we have done in our life. And you can start to use these to, to fire off the neurons in your heads as you think about, well, how do we throw parties uh, going forth from here? So, um, some, by the way, some of these are going to be small. Some might just be with two other people. Some might be half a dozen people. Obviously, we're going to be COVID sensitive at first, but uh, the, the next few months. Um, some of these might be with dozens and dozens of people. So there's the whole scale of things that go on here. So, so don't just think this has got to be 100 people in, in your living room. This could just be a few people sitting around a fire pit. All right. So there's different scales of doing this. But here's some things that we've done down the years. So Christmas parties, uh, summer fire pits, 4th of July. And uh, for us as good English people, Brits in America, uh, that is the ultimate uh, self-sacrifice we have to do there to celebrate that, 4th of July. Um, grilling out and watching the game, whatever the game is for your friends, for your, for your um, people in your context, your place of mission, what do they watch? Uh, the Super Bowl, whether you go for the game or you go for the commercials, a graduation party, perhaps there's a family near you where someone's graduating, you, you could organise a party for them. Uh, cocktail hour on your front lawn we've done that before and you can have alcoholic non-alcoholic uh, and just do nice drinks have a nice kind of environment some cool music going some put some lights out and invite your neighbors to come and join you doing that on, a, on perhaps a friday evening so much fun um ice cream parties english tea parties that that's a good thing you might not want to pull that one off but what would be your equivalent for us english tea party what's your equivalent that you could pull off Host a jewellery selling thing. Um, you know, you get those, those companies that sell jewellery and you can invite people around. Um, or, or similarly, micro-businesses that sell goods, perhaps for World Vision or, or organisations like that. You could do a homework club. You could do a dog party. I had a friend who did that. Uh, lots of fun with that. Lots of the friends who are, who are dog owners. You could do a, a, a runner's gathering. Maybe you're a runner, invite the other runners to come and do a party. An end of season thing for the team that you're in or, or your kids are in, something like that. Uh, if, if your kids are down doing sports all the time, maybe take a grill down to the field one game and, and grill hot dogs for all the families. You could do a pool party. You could do a book club. You could do board games on a Saturday night. Settlers of Catan for six hours, you know, with, with three of your great friends. That There's lots of things you can do and you'll come up with many more ideas on top of that. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm an introvert, I don't like parties. But I want to say introvert parties are very much part of this. You don't need to have hordes of people. You can just have that smaller number, but have a fun time together and use that as a context to invest more deeply in others, to go to the deeper conversations. Uh, I think parties are a sacrament in the sense that, done properly and done in the spirit of Jesus, they're a space where grace can be found where people can encounter the grace and the goodness of God. So I want to encourage you to do that, to be highly relational, to be thinking about the other people, to be, to be welcoming, to be uh, open-armed to people, to draw folks in. And of course, it might not be hosted by you. You might hear your neighbours doing a thing, in which case cancel what you were doing, get off Netflix and go around and join in there and build relationships with those people in that environment. Um, and, and, and I want to encourage you that as we go into this vital summer this summer of great mission and great opportunity there's going to be so much opportunity in the months ahead uh, parties think about this concept of parties in your environment again it could just be a couple of people it could be could be when it's covid safe it could be 60 people uh, it, that 
both are good and everything in between but and we can do it outdoors and all the stuff but how do you create spaces where you can invite your lost friends neighbors colleagues to come alongside and and you have fun together you laugh together you might cry together if they're talking about deep stuff um you're building relationships you're not afraid to go to the spiritual conversation in the midst of that where it's appropriate but you're going deeper with them and that becomes this environment where people feel loved they feel accepted they, they know that you're a spiritual person and the environment of, of you giving this great gracious invitation to come be close to come belong uh, you will then get those moments with some of those folks won't be with everyone but with some of those folks where you get to bring um, that little moment of of godly um, the challenge of the gospel and it's not it's not picking up this and whacking people around the head but it might be a situation where someone's saying I'm really stressed about the kids right now or I'm worried about money or my boss is just he's a right so-and-so or, or whatever the deal is and you get to say as a spiritual man or woman or boy or girl you get to say you know what could I this might sound crazy but could I pray for you about that because uh, I think Jesus wants to help you be a better dad or or to deal with your difficult boss, or, or provide for your finances, or whatever the, the deal is. Uh, and you know what we found that again and again and again, lost people are so open to that sort of thing. But that the reason they're going to be open is because it's in the context of them feeling valued, them feeling accepted, them feeling invited, uh, them feeling like they're part of the party, they're invited to the party, and you value them. And in that space, that creates those those opportunities for the kingdom to come, for them to experience that and for all sorts of great conversations and experiences to take place. So I'm going to pray for that for us now, that we will be able to do this with boldness uh, and to see the opportunities the Lord is, is laying ahead of us. And, and yes, I know it's COVID, but let's not use that as an excuse to do nothing. Uh, we can be COVID wise and still be fully on mission in these summer months. Uh, it's going to be a bit different for each one of us, but, but let's, let's ask the Lord now to speak to us about that. So would you bow your heads with me and I'm going to pray. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful example you give us that you are more than comfortable to go to the lost. You're more than happy to go to people who perhaps on the very edges of acceptability. Um, and yet you did so in a way where you loved and you accepted and you drew others to you. Um, and you didn't do it by compromising on, on your message. Uh, you, you were the one who was the temperature setter in the room. But you did it with such grace and such kindness and such generosity. And I pray now, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. You would show us what our next steps are over these summer months. How we can be outposts of your kingdom how we can represent you in, in wonderful ways in our neighbourhoods and workplaces and schools and in our networks of relationships. Um, Lord, I pray even now that you would be putting on our, in our minds, putting, putting perhaps even in our minds, eyes, showing us faces or, or bringing names to mind of people, people who are seemingly far from you, but who we, if we're just wise with some gracious invitations, we can draw them closer we can um, help them feel accepted and loved and valued and trust that that will create an opportunity. Somewhere down the process, there'll be that opportunity where there's that more spiritual conversation or, or the opportunity to talk about you in a way that's just authentic and real and meaningful. And we trust that good things will come from that.
So Lord, please use us in these summer months, this season of unusual opportunity and openness, where the world is in such uh, an unusual state. Uh, use us, we pray, and we pray that we would have many, many stories in the months ahead of your kingdom significantly advancing individual lives uh, across this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh